Well, it's fun, um, isn't it, just to see what God is doing, you know, I mean, for us to be able to commission them, and I would ask you to be praying for them, not just this morning, um, but would you pray for their ministries, you know, they're ministering to the next generation, and around here, that's a big deal, and so would you pray that God would just bless them, you know, one of my prayers, too, is that I think when you're young and you're in ministry, sometimes that can put a pretty big strain, everything's new, and so I'm really praying, too, that this would be one of the best seasons for their marriages that they would ever experience, and so yeah, would you uh, just join me in that? So it's, it's exciting to, to think about what God's going to do through them. Well, today we're in a, a new series and so excited to be launching into it. But before we dive into it, I want to tell you something, just a little bit about something that's been taking place uh, on the personal front uh, with our family. Um, it's pretty serious. So are you ready? About four years ago, I shared that our daughter, Ashlyn, she's our middle child. I shared that in, in the midst of a message, I was talking about what it means to be persistent. And she models persistence so well. And so I was talking to you about that. And I said, man, she just really wants this dog and she won't let it go. And, and so she says, please, please, please. And we say, no, not now, probably not ever. And we just continued that on. And, and so then a couple years after that, I mentioned it again in a message. And I said, you know, we tried to appease her. And so we let her get two guinea pigs. Well, we had those guinea pigs for about a week, those varmints. And And then Christina and I, in a very weak and not a very good parenting moment, we bribed her big time to take those back, and she did. It was great. Um, (laughs) Since that time, though, I told you about that, unfortunately, and and then Pastor Steve has been, our founding pastor, Brookside, he's been criticizing me and criticizing particularly the condition of my heart. And uh, he said on multiple occasions from the stage that I have a, a heart of stone, he says, and that I need to repent and let my poor, deprived children have a dog. And, um, and so I want to say this, though, too. Many of you joyfully joined him in that criticism. <laughs> and I just want to say shame on you, all of you. <laughs> all the while, Ashlyn hasn't relented a bit. And her persistence has just been so nagging. And she was actually doing a persuasive letter recently in school, and she wrote this. She said, Dear Mom and Dad, <clears throat> I think our fa- this is like one of dozens and dozens of these. I think our family should get a German short hair pointer puppy. I will take care of it. No one will have to do anything. <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, we can teach our dog to duck hunt. Uh, we should name her Hatchet. Uh, I think that we should get a white one with brown spots or black spots. I like brown better, but it doesn't matter much. I will train. I will feed the dog twice a day, maybe three times a day, and I will get mom a coffee every single day. I think that we should get a German short hair pointer. P.S. Mom, that's a lot of coffee. So today, church, nagging church, um, I know this is an incredibly spiritual moment. It's what you came for, I know. Um, but I want to introduce you to Hatchet. So Hatchet, Ashlyn, yeah, come on out. Yeah. There we go. That a girl. All right. There she is. Come here, girl. Yeah, come on out. Hi, guys. Now, you can pray for us because we've never had a pet for longer than a week. And... Uh, <laughs> This is a defining week for you, Hatchet. I hope it goes well, sweetie. Um, Thanks, Ashlyn. Appreciate it. Ashlyn wanted me to say thank you to all of you. Yes, yeah. I'm not sure which is worse, that you're clapping for a dog or that I led you to do that. You know, like, that. I don't know. 
Oh, okay. I'm not sure how to segue from that. So we're going to switch gears without a clutch here. And uh, would you pray with me? And uh, let's just ask God to lead us this morning. So yeah, pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. Um, God, you are a good God. And um, Father, it is fun to be a part of a church family. It's fun to share things that are fun and, and enjoyable. And then, God, it's, it's also just a privilege um, to be the kind of church where we can welcome and we can know someone who sh- is facing something that they shouldn't face alone in that week. And so, Father, thank you for this group. And, um, Father, we pray this morning that you would give a vision uh, to us for more. Father, as we jump back into the book of Acts, God, we pray that you would do something in our midst over these course of these next few weeks that would be so incredibly significant. Um, Father, thank you for who you are. Lord, we love you. And Father, we open the door wide now for you to speak into our heart, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, today uh, we jump back into this series. And if you remember, February, January, March of this year, we began going through the book of Acts. And when we looked at the book of Acts in that, that first chunk of the year, we looked at chapters 1 through 12, and we saw God do some incredible things. Now we're going to dive in to the second half of that book. And if you're here this morning, maybe you'd say even this, you'd say maybe you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. I think this series will be helpful to you. Or maybe you would say, I'm just a little bit newer to Brookside, and so I, I haven't been in on kind of the, the first half of this book. So I wanted just to bring you up to speed um, rather quickly this morning. In a nutshell... At the core of really what the book of Acts is, it's it's this. It is the story of the beginning of the church. It's the story of the early church. How God used ordinary people. How God used ordinary people like you and and like me to do great things for the kingdom of God. To to help other people know him. How God would take one person and and they would be so captivated by who Jesus Christ is that they couldn't help but turn around and want other people to, to know that. It's really fun. Just this week, I got an email from Alyssa Miller. She grew up here, and uh, her family's been a part of Brookside for years and years. And the email subject line was just so exciting to read. It said, ready, set, fly. And what she was announcing was this, this young godly gal. She was announcing in, on October 3rd, as of October 3rd, I'm going to be in Thailand, and I'm going to be sharing the message of Jesus Christ with other people. She's leaving everything that she's grown up with and everything that she's known because Why? Because she's been captivated by the love of God, and she wants to then share that with other people. It's fun to hear just another person this week mention that they were having a little gathering, a little birthday party, uh, bringing over some of their neighbors, throwing a birthday party for another neighbor, and she just happened to mention this. She said, he's one of my five for the city. Remember my, you know, our For the City initiative where we're saying, God, break our hearts for the city? And that boils right down just to coworkers and neighbors and friends. And she was saying that this is one of the people that I've been, I've been praying for. And I could tell numerous stories, too many to tell really, of how you embody this spirit, the spirit of God. You've blessed me with something so great. And so God, I want to share it with those around me. So today we're going to get into Acts chapter 13. And what we're going to see is that same kind of thing. In Acts chapter 13, we're going to see a church that literally, no kidding, a church that literally changed the world. It was a local church that got captivated by God in such a mighty way that as a result of it, it impacts you and I right here today. This is the kind of church that we're going to read about this morning that you would have longed to have been a part of. If you would have found out where they would have been meeting on Sunday, you would have flocked to that place because you would have longed to be a part of what they were doing. As I studied this week, I just thought to myself time and time again, God, 
Oh God, would you do such magnificent things in our midst that it would just be beyond our expectations. It would beyond, be beyond what we could think of, what we could ask or imagine. God, would you take the teachers in our midst, the coaches? God, would you take us in our workplaces? God, would you help us to see our neighbors in such a way, God, that you would do such a great work? Acts chapter 13, we're going to learn so much from this local church that seriously changed the world. You and I are fruit of what they did. So this morning, you also got on your, your seat, you got this, you can take this out now, you got an envelope, don't open it. It says this, it says, please do not open yet. Uh, you will be instructed to do so during today's message, and you will be, but let me just say this, don't open it yet, but we'll get, we'll get to it later. But I just want to say this, inside that envelope this morning, what you're going to see is this, you're going to find the key ingredient to God accomplishing some of the greatest things that, that could ever happen, I believe, in human history. You're going to see in that envelope this morning the key ingredient, the component that God can use. It's the thing that God has used up to this point throughout human history to write a great story in the lives of so many people, and you would be evidence of it. And it's the thing that God is going to use to continue doing that. So we'll come back to that envelope. But before we, we get there, we're going we're gonna to start in, in Acts chapter 13, but I, I do want to back up and just do a little bit of an overview this morning so that we can kind of quickly get caught up. And so first of all, know this, the book of Acts is all about this movement of God, this movement, this stirring that God did through the local church. The book of Acts, we know this, it's written by this guy, Luke. Now, Luke just wasn't just some any old author. Luke was an eyewitness to the life of Jesus Christ. He, he was the kind of person that he was captivated by God, and so he wanted to write about who God was, sharp guy, educated, physician. And so he writes this personal account of who Jesus Christ is. He also wrote the, the, the gospel book of Luke, which is really the sequel to the book of Acts. Now we know this, in the gospel book of Luke, Luke wrote about the life of Jesus Christ. He wrote about all the things that Jesus did while he was here on earth. And then when he gets, though, to the book of Acts, Luke kind of shifts. Jesus has ascended into heaven, and now Luke is writing this eyewitness account of the birth and the, the life of the local church. This book of Acts, I'll tell you what, I think it's inspiring. I love the book of Acts because not only does it shape us, Brookside, as a church, but it pushes us. It helps us, I think, to think differently to think how God longs for us to think. And so what we're going to see is this, that the gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ, it started in one place, Jerusalem, and then we're going to see that it extended from, from, from really nation to nation to nation to right here where we are today. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we see this theme verse in the book of Acts. And so it says this in Acts 1, 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the theme. This gospel, it's starting in Jerusalem. But then it's not going to stay in Jerusalem. It's going to go. It's going to go to Judea and Samaria. And then it's going to keep going all the way to the ends of the earth. Now, when we, after Acts 1-8, we really see the fulfillment of this take place throughout the rest of the book of Acts. And so let me give you just some highlights. In Acts chapter 2, we see this. We'll work our way right up to 13. In Acts chapter 2, we see God's Spirit lands on the people of God. And God's Spirit empowers them to do the work of God. And so they're led, not in their own strength, in their own might, in their own wisdom, but they're led by God's Spirit. 
And in the context of that, they see God do incredible things. They see God call them to a mission that would be worthy of them giving their lives to, and many of them did. And then we keep going. We see after the Holy Spirit just lands on this church in Acts chapter 2, we see that they form a new community. They form this community, this local gathering. And I'll be honest, every time I read Acts chapter 2 and I read about that community, I think to myself, an unbelieving world would love to be a part of that. Because they modeled things like this. They modeled how to take care of each other. They modeled generosity. They modeled integrity. They modeled prayer and fasting. And they sought hard after God. And one thing was for sure, this church was on the move. This church was looking at, God, what do you have for us? And they were eagerly pressing into it. They lived, I love this, they lived with an expectation. God, what will you do in our midst. And God, we will ask you for big things and we will anticipate that you will deliver. Keep going. Acts chapter 4 to Acts chapter 8, we see that this church grows and it continues to expand. And, but like anything, like any work of God, the enemy would love to destroy that. And so we see that sure enough, persecution comes and they face, they face threats and they face abuse and all sorts of op- opposition. But the mission stays the same. It doesn't hamper the mission. It keeps it going. It actually makes it flourish. And then along the way, we meet some key players, don't we? In Acts chapter 1 through 12, we, we see Peter. We see, uh, we, see, we see Paul. We see John. We see these guys come to life. We learn about their lives. And then when we get to Acts chapter 9, I mentioned that we see Paul. We see first he's called Saul. And we see that, okay, no one, you might feel like this is you today. No one is too far from the heart, heart, too far from the heart of God. No one. No one's heart is too hard that God cannot soften. And so we see God take this guy, Saul, and he turns him into this wonderful man of God, Paul. And we see, wow, God, you can do anything in the lives of people. We shouldn't give up on anyone. In all of this, Jesus' mission, it is advancing down the field. And if you look back then at the beginning of the book, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we see Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. And we see that the gospel is just continuing to expand and expand and expand. In Acts chapter 13, we see then this church. We see this church, and this morning we're going to look at just three verses, and we're going to see them do four things. And and we're going to learn from these four things because what they began was a global movement. They began something that over the course of the next 200 years, it would allow for everyone in the Roman world to hear the message of Jesus Christ. In that moment, that, what God did in that local church, it had that kind of impact over the course of the next 200 years. And then after that, over the course of the next 2,000 years, nearly every country would be able to hear about the message of Jesus Christ. But this movement of being on mission, of multiplication, it began in a local church. And it's made me think and pray this week and say, God, what do you have for us? God, where do you long for us to go? God, if we followed you wholeheartedly and with all that we had, Lord, what would you do in our midst that would be on beyond what we could even ask or imagine? You know, as a church, this number here, 675,000 This has become important to us because we kind of figured out, we did some pretty easy math, really, and we figured out that, you know, in the Omaha metro, conservatively, 675,000 people in the Omaha metro likely do not have a thriving relationship with the God that loves them. 
675,000 people, you might be one of them here today. And you would say, I have no idea that God knows me. I have no idea that, that God cares about me. I have no idea that God would like to write another story for my life, that God could actually redeem me. There's a whole lot of people in that group, and so that motivates us. And so today, let's learn from Acts chapter 13. We're going to camp on just three verses. We're going to take four things away, and then we're going to answer that question at the end. We'll go back to those envelopes, and we'll ask the question, God, what is the key ingredient for you to write a great story for the next generation, for our friends, for our neighbors, for our coworkers? So look with me now. If you've got a Bible, turn with me right now. Will you? Acts chapter 13, look at verses 1 through 3. It says this. It says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius and of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Now know this, up to this point, no local church has intentionally sent people out for the spreading of the gospel. In Acts chapter 7, in Acts chapter 8, we see persecution come, and that causes people to spread. But this is the first time in the scriptures that we see a local church say, you know what? We need to send our own out. We need to look beyond our walls and say, okay, God, what do you want to do beyond this place? God, where are you needed? And what happened in this local church in Antioch is so special. It is so significant. So this passage starts with this list of leaders. Look with me at verse 1. This is pretty amazing, pretty amazing what, what God is doing here. It says this. It says, who, here's who was present. First of all, there was Barnabas. He was there. Now, we've seen Barnabas before in the book of Acts. He was a Levite from Cyprus. Uh, and then in the group, there was, there was Simeon. Now, now, Simeon, he was of Niger, in which, which literally means this. It means that he, translate his name, it literally means that he was dark-skinned. Very likely, he was from North Africa. Now, now, just think about this just at the beginning, just knowing just a couple of them. This group was beautifully diverse. We know that in Acts chapter 11, this group of Christians, they're not just made up of, of Jewish people, but there's also Gentiles and there's Greeks as well. And this would have been an anomaly for the first century. So this is a diverse, beautiful group. And then there's Lucius of Cyrene, and then there's Menaean. Now he says then that he was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Now, Herod the Tetrarch was the king who was responsible for the beheading of John the Baptist, and the same guy, he was also, he also played a part in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Way diverse group. So that's a, he's a friend of that guy. And now there's also this guy, his name is Saul, a former persecutor of the church, of Christians. The first thing that we can learn from this church that literally changed the world is this. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Number one is this. They were different, yet they were united. This group was beautifully different. They came from different places. They looked different, but they were united. And they weren't united around their race or their economics or their politics. They were united around Jesus Christ. And they were united around this mission that God had called them to. They were reunited around the fact, and they had been raptured personally by this. They knew that, oh, once I lived in rebellion to a holy God, but by his grace and by his mercy, he pursued me. 
And when God pursued me, he allowed me to know who he is, and it changed me. And they were united around that. They were united around the fact that the gospel wasn't just for one group of them, not just two groups of them, but the gospel was for every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every neighbor, every coworker, and it fired them up. You know, one of the things that is just thrilling, I think, as we're growing in this as a church is that we're becoming more of a picture of the nation's. We're becoming, we're having more of a picture of different people groups in this place, united together under what? Not our race, not our politics. We're united around the cause of Christ. We're united around the fact that there was a time when we lived in rebellion, but God got a hold of us, a holy God, our creator. We unite around that. The second thing that we can learn from this church that changed the world was this, Notice what they did is this. They adored Jesus and they sought him passionately. They adored Jesus and they sought him passionately. In verse 2 it says this. It says that while they were worshiping the Lord. Now notice this. This movement started with a group of people that were worshipers, not workers. This movement started with a group of people that were together and they were caught up in the fact, Jesus, you are who you are and it captures my heart I worship you. To worship simply means this. It means to ascribe worth to. Now, you can worship a hobby, a team, a person, a job, but the only thing, and if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't always do this, but when you do, you know that it's true. When you worship Jesus Christ, you know he's the only thing that provides lasting satisfaction in your life. Those other things, you have to have more. You have to win. You have to have this and that. And they do not satisfy. But the only one who is worthy of our worship is Jesus Christ. These people in Acts chapter 13, the church in Antioch that God changed the world through, first and foremost, they were worshipers well before they were workers. And then notice this. It it continues to go on and it, it says that not only were they worshipers, um, but it, it says that when they, when they uh, it says that they worship the Lord, and then it says also that they fasted. Now think about this, they, they fasted, so they went before the Lord and they said, you know what, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to deny myself of something that I really like. I mean, I like food. But they denied themselves of that. Why did they deny themselves of food? Because they wanted to be so in line with and so connected to the purposes of God that every time their stomach would growl, it would just remind them, God, to do your will. John chapter 4, that is my food. God, more important than even the substance that I long for all the time, sometimes I'm going to say no to that because I'm so desperate and so want your purposes in my life. So they adored Jesus because he alone is worthy of worship. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 says this. It says that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again, it says. Imagine that. And then in his joy, he went out and sold all that he had and he bought the field. In other words, God, you are so worthy that I would sell everything to have you. That's what's happening in that parable. And so they worshiped and then they fasted together. The third thing that we can learn from this church that changed the world was this. Simply, very, very simply put, that they followed the nudges of God. We talk about that a lot around here. God, we want to be the kind of church that when you speak, we move. God, that when you lead, we listen. 
that when you say go, that's when we hit play. So they followed the nudges of God. It says this, it says that the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Now picture this. They're intentionally worshiping Jesus Christ, but in the midst of this little worship gathering, where I think they were just authentically pouring their hearts out to God, the Holy Spirit speaks to them and says, hey, it's going really good here, but I want you to send some people out. I want you to send out Barnabas. I I, I want you to to send them out. I, I, I want them to not stay connected to you, but I want you to listen to the nudges of God. I love this. It's this picture of God said pivot to them, and they did. God said, run, and they, 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 they listened, they obeyed. I love thinking about the core group that, would have, that started Brookside Church. I love thinking about what that must have been like when God tapped Stephen Becky on the shoulder and said, come to Omaha, okay? And then when this group began to gather and they prayed and they were on their knees and they were seeking God and they were worshiping him, I just wish I could have been there just to have seen that and to have known then that they followed God and they went to this location and that location then they kept going and going, and they built things, and they, they said, well, God, what else do you want? And they kept pursuing that and pursuing that. That's what this church is doing. You know, as we look ahead, as we save for, and as we plan for our second campus, and whatever else God has for Brookside, we're asking him, God, we want to follow you. God, we long to be the kind of people that we are aware of the nudges of God and we are quick to respond to them. Why? Because there's 675,000 people who we love. 675,000, that's too big for me, I'll be honest. But I've got 72 neighbors, 72 houses in our neighborhood. I can get my arms a little bit around that. And then I can think, okay, well, even smaller than, God, we were saying this, God, we want to follow your nudges. We want to follow your leadings. Number four, the fourth thing that we can learn from this church is this, this church that changed the world is this, it says that they were willing to multiply. They were willing to multiply. It says in verse two, it says that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said this. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so that they fasted and they prayed and, and then they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Have you ever been on a team and your star player got hurt? It's not good, is it? Have you ever had a favorite team and somebody went down or multiple players went down? It's not good at all. Now know this. What they did was not easy. This move to send out Paul, (laughs) are you kidding me? To send out Barnabas? I mean, there's got to be two other dudes that they're important, but just not that important, right? I mean, Barnabas was like the encourager. Everyone would have loved Barnabas, and Paul wrote a ton of the New Testament. I mean, this is a big deal. They would not have wanted to have done this. This was no small deal, no small deal at all. But what did they do? Four things that we learned from these people right away is this. They were different, yet they were united. They were different. They looked different. They came from different places. Some of them probably grew up and lived pretty wholesome lives. Others were so far from God But they came together and they said, we're on equal playing field. None of us deserve the grace of God, but God, we're so thankful that you give it to us. 
What's the second thing they did? They, when they came together, they adored Jesus. If you come here and you would say, I'm in a dry spot, I, I, I'm trying to worship God, but my worship of God is just kind of dry, I would say to you this morning, go back to who he is. Maybe even jot it down. God, before you, this was my life. God, after you, this is my life. Maybe just write this simple sentence. God, you are, and start listing. You know what it will do? It will cultivate. It will ignite. It will set on fire your adoration of who Jesus is. The second thing they did is they adored Jesus, and then they sought him passionately. We're going to have a, a, a special time on October the 18th, and, and we're going to call it immeasurably more, and we're just going to come together and worship and pray, and, and we're going to have baptisms that night, and what we're doing is this. We want to come together and just adore Jesus. Just lift him up for who he is. The third thing that they did was this, that they followed the nudges of God. I love it. I mean, just imagine if they wouldn't have. And you have to imagine. I mean, think about that elder board meeting. Think about that congregational meeting. Yeah, we think we should send out, hang on a sec. We think we should send out Barnabas and Saul, to which the whole group would have gone, <laughs> no, those are our main guys. You can't do that. There's no way. But they were so committed to the promptings of God. They so longed to hear the voice of God that they were willing to do it. The success, know this, the success of the church in Antioch, the church that literally changed the world. We are here today because of what God did in and through it. The success of the church in Antioch was not measured by how many people came. But on this day, it began to shift, and they began to measure. They began to keep track. Probably their, one of their matrix was this. The success of the church, no longer about just who comes, but the success of our church in Antioch will be on how many people we send. I love it. So challenging. This church in Antioch, they changed the world. And we're here today because of it. I mean, think about that. God moved in that moment. In that moment of time, God did something so special and so significant that it impacts us right here to this day. So now I want you to do this. Take your envelope. Let's talk about this key ingredient. I want you to take it out and think about those 675,000 people. Go ahead and, and you can open it up. The key ingredient is this. Wow, that's really loud. The key component that God used to propel the most significant movement in all of human history to this point. And it's the same thing, I believe, that God's going to use moving it forward. He doesn't have to, but I believe he wants to. It says in his word that he does. Acts chapter 8, look with me at it one more time. And don't point that mirror at your neighbor. You look at yourself in that mirror. It's you, okay? Think about this. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We cling to this truth. You, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Jay and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The key ingredient in God accomplishing something so great. The key ingredient in God writing a better story. And if you're a Christian and you reflect on your story, it motiv motivates you. It moves you to the point where you say, Jesus, I adore you. Jesus, I long to worship you. But the thing that God, by his grace, he didn't have to 
But the thing that by God's grace, he says, this is the key piece. This is the component that I'm going to use to write a great story for the next generation and the next and the next and the next. And the coworker that you sit next to that doesn't know Christ and the student on the team that doesn't know Christ, God is going to use you. It says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. I don't know how Jesus could have put it any simpler. He said this, you are the light of the world. It's you. Now, I wouldn't say to you this morning, you should be overwhelmed by that. I would say to you this morning, you should just think of it like this. Who's the one? God, who's the one person that you want me to pray for? God, who's the one person that you've put in my life? And God, you just long for me to maybe even clumsily step into a conversation. Know this, it's not about what you do. It says that you will receive power When the Holy Spirit comes on you, this is all about God choosing to use people. The key ingredient is you, but it's not you alone. It's you empowered by God. And I believe that if people around you and I would understand and they would even see you and I walk into conversations, not get it right, but we would make invitations, we would invest in the lives of people, I believe that people would authentically say, I do want to know their God. They don't have it perfectly. I didn't even quite understand exactly all what they said, but I'm trusting them. And I believe that the Holy Spirit could move so mightily in the hearts of people. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, Christ's love, when I think about it, he said, Christ's love, it compels us. It moves us forward. There's this verse that I want to share with you this morning. And um, I cannot think of a verse that God has used to challenge my life more. And I can't think of a season of my life when God has used one specific verse come at me again and again and again. We saw this in just our 365 reading yet again this week. It says this. This is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It says this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. Notice again, it's his power that's at work in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see, God doesn't have to use you, but I believe he wants to. And I believe, church, that if we would come together and we would say, Jesus, we adore you, but not only do we adore you, we are going to treat you as the God that you are, so we are going to ask you to do immeasurably more, because you are God, after all. We're going to ask you to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, and then we're going to wait expectantly. And we're going to put ourselves out there, and God, we pray that you would show us what that looks like, But then we'll wait expectantly. And we're so glad, God, that we know that group of people in Acts 13 in in the church in Antioch, they didn't ignore the nudges of God, but they obeyed them. Think about your life. What does God want to do that you would say, that's immeasurably more than I could have asked or imagined? I think that's the kinds of things that God wants us to bring before him. That person in your life that you've just written off forever and ever and ever, I believe It's you that God wants to help them be reached by. Would you pray that prayer? Would you say, God, help me. Help me to think of immeasurably more than I could ask or imagine. I know a church that they're having great impact, and one of their mottos is this. They say, be a pointer. Be a pointer with your life. A person that's always pointing people to Christ. 
last Sunday, and I, I promise I won't overwhelm you with dog stories now that we have a dog, but last Sunday when we picked up that little dog, um, I took her to our backyard. First time I'd taken her back there, and I set her down there, in, and you know, set her on the ground, and um, without making one move, she noticed there was this bird's nest that had fallen down a couple days before, and it still had a couple feathers in it, and I just, I didn't even see it there, so I just sit her down. She doesn't move. She freezes, lifts up her leg, and points at this bird, right? Just, she points at it. Now, here's the thing. She's wired that way. I didn't have to coach her. I didn't have to train her. I didn't have to bribe her. I didn't even have to pick up her poop once for her to do that, right? <laughs> Think about this. That's the way God made her. Know this. God has made you to be a pointer, not a dog, don't confuse it, but God has made you to be the kind of person that you would point people to the God that loves them. And I believe this, if we will go to God and we will say, God, Ephesians 3.20, God, would you do immeasurably more in this place than we could ask or imagine? I believe God longs to answer that prayer. Why? Because he will be glorified. And so this week, I'm asking you, would you take that mirror home? Would you set it somewhere where you'll see it all the time? And would you just remind yourself, God, you could have chosen any way to write a great story for the next generation, but God, you chose me. God, you chose your people. And might we not be overwhelmed by that, but might we be inspired by it? And might we go, God, if I adore you, it will flow from me. See, they were, they were not workers first. They were worshipers first. And out of their worship, out of their adoration for Jesus, that's when they said, okay, we will, we will share, we will multiply, we will send out our best. And so let's pray together and let's just say, God, would that be true of us? Yeah, pray with me, church. I first just want to say this. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, um, I would just say, would you ask God right now, would you say, Lord, I've not put you first. And, and in this moment, Lord, I, I pray. And you can just say this to God. You can say, Lord, I accept you today, Lord. I have lived in rebellion against you, but today I come before you and I say, God, would you be my God? God, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you proved that you were God. You rose over the grave. You've forgiven me of all my sins and you long for me to know that I am accepted and loved, not based on what I do, but based only and solely on what you have done. You do that right now and you enter into the kingdom of God. I believe you enter into the greatest mission that you could give your life to. And God, for the rest of us, Lord, we just pray today and we say, God, help us not to be overwhelmed by 675,000, but God, help us to think about the one. God, who's the one? Lord, you say that you will receive power. We, your people, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us. And so, God, we pray now, we submit ourselves to who you are and all that you long to do. And we pray this in Christ's name. And people said.